listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. We'll be looking at uh, a few different passages this morning. First, I'll read from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. So Mark chapter 6, 30 to 32 says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And then we'll follow that up with a verse you're very familiar with. Psalms 46 verse 10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Praise the Lord. All right, well, uh, good morning. It's great to be back with you. Um, You know, this past year and a half or so, there's been lots of talk, obviously, about life-threatening illnesses, physical illnesses. But I'm just wondering, what if I told you there was an illness running rampant in our culture that wouldn't harm you at all physically, but is lethal to you spiritually? What would be your level of concern about that? Um, That it could really take out your life with God. And perhaps the worst part about this particular illness is that it's nothing you would suspect. Most of you are probably not thinking about this particular illness right now. It's kind of the carbon monoxide of spiritual toxins. It creeps in undetected. You can't taste it or smell it or see it, but it will kill you spiritually. Anybody know the spiritual illness I'm talking about? I'm talking about hurry. See, I told you most of you weren't thinking about that, were you? You're thinking about other big spiritual sins probably, but hurry is the thing I want to talk to you about today. We're going to look at some of the symptoms of this disease along with the cure for it and some practicals for how to manage it in the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Uh, last week, we closed up our series in Judges and Ruth, um, which I just I loved listening to and being a part of that series. But now we're jumping into a brand new series, and I'm just calling this series Lessons I Learned on sabbatical. And for those of you who don't know, I was on sabbatical for two months, uh, July and August. The elders graciously gifted me off for sabbatical. And for those of you who don't know, a sabbatical is just time off from your regular work to rest, renew, but also usually to do some different kind of work. So often a pastor or professor will do some research or write a book or something like that. Well, the elders um, gave us this gift, and I want you to know Jenny and I really do view it as a gift. We don't think this is a right or this is something that is demanded of this job. Like, it's truly a gift, and many of you will never get a sabbatical, and I'm aware of that. So it was a true gift that we used, and we took it very seriously to do the things that the elders asked us to do, to rest, to recover, do some counseling, and do some leadership development, and, and just a lot of internal work. That was the work of this sabbatical. And uh, kind of as way of accountability, I'm coming to you to say, there's some things that the Lord taught me, and I would like to share those with you to share, like, hey, I wasn't just sitting around or fishing the whole time, right? Uh, like, it was, we did some fishing, one walleye league, it took first place, but, but, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of really cool things that God spoke to me, and I want to share a few of those with you uh, starting today. So the first lesson I learned, here we go, and I'm going to try not to be in a hurry as I do this. Uh, But I do want to leave some good time for fellowship. But the first lesson I learned is that we need to slow down in order to pay attention to God and others. Slow down in order to pay attention to God and others. And of course, this is in fact the cure for this spiritual disease of hurry. And it couldn't be any more critical in this fast-paced, crazy, busy culture that we live in. 
Now, since most of you have never experienced a sabbatical, uh, just think of it as kind of an extended vacation. And I've talked to several of you about that, that when you've taken like a week or two weeks of vacation time all at once, which I highly recommend, it takes you five, six, sometimes seven days to really start feeling restful. Um, and that's the first thing you have to learn when you take a sabbatical is like how to slow down. And you realize pretty quickly, I was living amped up. I was living just pedal to the metal, going really hard. And so slowing down is easier said than done. But once you start, it's, it's kind of like, oh, this is really good. There's, there's some really good life in here. And it didn't take me long to say to myself, I have got to figure out a way to keep this sabbatical heart, this Sabbath heart, this heart of rest when I go back to work. I've got to figure that out. Um, i got to figure out how to walk at the pace of Jesus. And here's something that, I, that was a pretty stunning revelation. You know, I spent a good deal of time on sabbatical um, practicing a very simple discipline of meditating in the Gospels, just taking short sections in the Gospels where we see Jesus interacting with someone. And I would put myself in the story interacting with Jesus and just meditate on that for a while, just a short section. And one of the things I, I started to realize was like, huh, my life... My pace, my inner realities look almost nothing like Jesus. I mean, I hate to admit that to you as your pastor, but like the, the things of my life, it just, we didn't have a lot in common. I was, I had many of these symptoms of the pervasive disease of our culture, this hurry sickness, and Jesus strikingly had none of them. He had none of them. And so let me explain just a few of these symptoms and see if some of them resonate with you. Um, things that I realized as I was meditating on the Gospels. Number one, I was pretty much always in a hurry. I was always in a hurry, always trying to accomplish something, always hurrying somewhere physically. And if I wasn't hurrying somewhere physically, I was in a hurry mentally, just skipping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And I realized that I always kind of, you know, I realized that this didn't line up with the pace of Jesus or the life of Jesus, but I always kind of gave myself an excuse like, well, he lived 2,000 years ago. You know, Jesus didn't have four kids. He didn't have to make Costco runs. He didn't have to get kids to practice and deal with phone bills and all that kind of stuff. Jesus had a very simple life, so we can't compare apples to oranges. Then I started looking at it closer, and I realized, like, wait a minute. Jesus had demands on his time pretty much all his waking hours. Now, he was anything but lazy. During his ministry years, he quickly became the most sought-after human being around Crowds always pushing to, to be near him, to see him, to need something from him. And he could, could have easily gotten wrapped up in all these ministry demands, but he didn't. As I read the Gospels, I couldn't find one single time where Jesus was in a hurry. And it startled me. Like, not one single time where he's like, guys, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got stuff to do. Jesus is never, ever that way. In fact, most of the time, he's painfully slow, even for his day and age. Right? I mean, think about, remember how Jesus kind of gets lectured on his slowness by uh, Mary and Martha, his good friends, after their brother Lazarus dies? I mean, he gets there, and both of them say the same thing, right? What do they say? Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And they're kind of right. He had the opportunity to be there. He was notified that Lazarus was sick. And then the text tells us in John that he waited for two days before even telling his disciples, I suppose we should be going now. Waited for, he just sat around for two days, apparently. And, you know, obviously Jesus wasn't in training to be an EMT or anything, but that's just unbelievable slowness. Not a bit, a bit of hurry or hustle in Jesus. And also consider our text this morning in Mark. You know, Jesus' disciples had gotten busy. Word had gotten around that 
he'd get healed in this ministry and, and life was happening. They got so busy, in fact, that they didn't have time to stop to eat. And I wonder, does that sound familiar to anybody in here? That you don't have time to eat. I mean, Americans are famous for being the people that don't have time to eat, right? That's why we invented fast food, which is bad food. It doesn't taste that good. It's not nutritious. It's just really fast, and that's why we do it over and over again. And on top of that, because we don't have time to prepare our food, we also don't have time to sit down and eat it, so we made a drive through And now we can eat food as nature intended in our vans on the way to practice, right? That's us. So we can get this when it says the disciples didn't have time to stop and eat. And what did Jesus do when the disciples come back to him weary from this breakneck pace of ministry? I, you know, if I was guessing, I think he'd be like, way to go, guys. You know, we're doing it. This is awesome. You're going to be rewarded for these efforts. Like, I'm proud of you. You know, you're making sacrifices for the ministry. But no, it's not what he does. He says, why don't you come away with me? to a quiet place and rest a bit. Like I just imagine him saying, I'll fix us some food. Let's make a fire. Let's talk. Let's go slow. In other words, he's saying, you need to slow down. The Savior of the world, God in the flesh, said, you need to slow down. Jeff Bethke, an author living in Maui, writes a book called To Hell with the Hustle. He's also got a good podcast called End, Hur or End Hustle, uh, Fight Hustle, End Hurry. And uh, his book is provocatively titled, I like the title, To Hell with the Hustle, and in hearing him talk about it, he titled it that way because he actually believes that um, hustle and hurry are demonic tools of the enemy to pull us not, a, not just away from the path of Jesus, but to pull us away from the person of Jesus himself. Like, they're actually things that Satan uses. And others in history have commented in similar ways. Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychologist, not a Christian even, said this. He said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis in his famous satirical writings called The Screwtape Letters said this from the perspective of Uncle Screwtape. If you've never read The Screwtape Letters, I love them. But they're written kind of in a backwards way. You have to think about them carefully. So Screwtape's the senior devil talking to Wormwood, his junior devil, and kind of coaching him how to tempt people. And he says this. He says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And there's nothing like hurry to keep the things of God out of our minds. Lewis goes on to write from the perspective of Screwtape. He says, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, the enemy being God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And that, my friends, is hurry in a nutshell. It isn't alarming to us spiritually because it's so gradual. It just it creeps in undetected. But hurry is lethal to your soul, to your life in God, because it, it cripples your ability to pay attention to God. That's what I learned on sabbatical. So that was the first symptom I had was that I was in a hurry. The second symptom I noticed was that I was anxious. And this is a dead giveaway that you're struggling with hurry sickness if you have kind of this low-grade anxiety that kind of accompanies you wherever you go. And I noticed that this started to kind of dissipate a few weeks into sabbatical. 
Um, as I meditated on the person of Jesus, I, I quickly realized he was probably the most chill person I had ever met. And I don't mean chill in the, in, the, like, in the way that I would say like a hippie, just kind of living carefree and just only taking care of themselves. Jesus literally had the weight of the world on his shoulders. He cared about everything. And yet, he still was never anxious. Dallas Willard, the famous Christian author and philosopher, was asked to describe Jesus in one word. He said, relaxed. Relaxed. I thought, yeah, that is true. Jesus is a very relaxed person. The only time we see him even a bit anxious is right before his crucifixion when he's praying and sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think we could understand his anxiety about that event. Jesus was so at ease. Remember, he was sleeping in a boat that's starting, literally starting to sink in a storm. I mean, unless he has just a ferocious case of narcolepsy, like that's another level of calm. Like he's literally just asleep in the boat. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, how is he still asleep? It says the boat is starting to sink, and Jesus is, they're like, wake up, man. What's wrong with you, first of all? But secondly, aren't you going to do something? He's at ease. He's relaxed. And so I started to ask myself, like, okay, if I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have Jesus living in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, why is my internal reality so much different than that of my Savior? Why don't I have those same internal realities going on in my life that he did? And I concluded that like Jesus had such another level of trust in his father. He just trusted his father so deeply that he could sleep right in the middle of a storm. And I concluded also that we're offered the same internal realities as long as we can meet with our father and pay attention to our father as Jesus did. I also realized that this world is needing a lot more people who are that non-anxious presence, who can withstand the storms of life, even like we talked about with Patty, while holding fast to their anchor, trusting the God who cares for them. Like, that's really important for Christians to be like that. We don't get like that by being in a hurry. That was the second symptom. I was anxious. Thirdly, I was struggling to pay attention. And this is awful to admit as a pastor, but I just have to admit it. Like, my attention span was shrinking. As I think um, studies have shown that we all really struggle with this now because we have these supercomputers in our pockets. I mean, just think with me for a moment. When was the last time you were truly bored for longer than five minutes? Unless you were driving and behaving and not using your phone. But, like, I, I tried thinking about it. Like, boredom is just something that's virtually been eliminated. Because you can always do something. You can always listen to something interesting or, you know, download something interesting or, you know, Watch your favorite program. You know, there's just all kinds of things that you can do at the click of a button right in your pocket. The problem is when we literally have zero boredom in our lives, it lowers our attention span. It lowers our ability to pay attention to God and to the people around us. And what I noticed was that Jesus had plenty of attention for both. As I reflected on the Gospels, I was struck by how incredibly present of a person Jesus was. Right? Like he wasn't thinking about other things. His mind wasn't wandering. He wasn't in the past. He wasn't in the future. He was like present just now. Like if you put yourself in the story, you got the feeling like Jesus could see like everything about you. And think about John 4, the woman at the well. He kind of reads her mail. He's just totally there, totally locked in on her and her circumstances. Think about him eating with Zacchaeus. Nothing else going on. He just took the time to be with Zacchaeus. He was attentive to people. He was really present with them. And he was also attentive to God, his Father. 
And that's perhaps why hurry is such a tool of the devil. It gives us this seemingly innocent reality, right? You say to yourself, I'm just a busy person. I'm just, you know, I'm just aggressive about life. I just, I just have a full schedule. And we say all those kinds of things. I was chief among them, like saying those kinds of things. But really what, what's happening is this demonic vice is kind of gripping our hearts and killing our ability to pay attention to God. Therefore, we can't fill up on his love or give that out to anybody else. John Mark Homer says, if we lose our ability to pay attention to God, who knows what we'll become? That phrase just, like, terrified me. If we lose our ability to pay like, think about that. If you cannot pay attention to God, what is going to be forming you? Like, what's actually, who are you actually going to become, be becoming? Comer says, when we, when we lose our ability to, be, to pay attention to God, we're formed not by God, but what we give our attention to, and he's right. For better or for worse, you are what you give your attention to. That's who you're becoming. That's what's forming you. You know, you give your attention to sports or whatever, you're, pretty soon your mind's just going to be fixated on that. That's who you're becoming. Likewise, if we can give our attention to God first, uh, we start being formed into his image and becoming like him. Jesus really challenged me on this. You know, I was meditating on the passage where he chooses his disciples. And the night before he was choosing his disciples, Jesus goes out to the mountain to pray, which is a normal thing for him. He did that um, on a regular basis in the morning and sometimes in the evening. But on this particular night, Jesus goes out away from the people to be alone with his father so that he could really pay attention to him. And the text says, just casually, that Jesus decided to stay all night. And I thought, Why? He's the son of God. He didn't need wisdom about who to pick. Um, he didn't need power. He clearly had all of that. He was perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would he stay all night in prayer with his father? And then the only thing I concluded is that he wanted to be there. That time with his father was the most life-giving, renewing place for Jesus. That that's where he got all of his identity. That's where he got all of his love. That's where he really filled up in such a way that he could give out freely all day long. And that night, Jesus decided to stay all night. And I'm not saying that's got to be your practice, that you pull all-night prayer sessions. But it's interesting to me that Jesus did. You know, it would follow, I think, that if Satan can keep us hurried and distracted, we can't really pay attention to God, then it's going to be inevitable that we no longer will be able to pay attention to the needs of others around us as well. Like, we can't give anything out of what we are empty if we're empty inside, we don't have anything from God. We won't be able to give out of that empty heart either. Jesus was full because he was able to pay attention to God, and therefore he gave out to others. So that was the third thing that I noticed. My attention span was shrinking. And fourthly, I had no margins for interruptions. Have you, you ever noticed this in your life? You just An interruption just feels like that. It's an interruption. It's You're getting behind. And Jesus, stunningly, was very interruptible. He did not have a mental schedule that he had to stick to perfectly. He had made space. He had some margins to be interrupted. Uh, remember when he's on the way to heal Jairus' daughter? I just read this with Dawson last night. And uh, the poor, frail lady comes up to him. She's had this issue with the flow of blood for a long, long time. I think it's 12 years. And she just touches his robe out of faith. And, you know, he could have just kept going, but Jesus stops. He notices her. He pays attention to her. He's not in a hurry. And of course, while he's there giving her attention, they come and say, Jairus' daughter is dead. And he's like, no, no, no. Just have faith. And maybe that's easy for Jesus because, you know, he's the son of God. He can redeem that. But 
Jesus always had time for people. He didn't see the interruptions as a break in his plan. He saw the interruptions as part of the work that God had for him to do. So he spoke life to that old frail lady. She was healed physically and spiritually. And I just started wondering, like, how many times have I missed the true work that God had me to do because I crammed my life just full to the max? I didn't have any margins for interruptions. And therefore, I thought anything that I haven't planned is clearly not something that God has for me to do. But maybe it was, and I just missed it. When you think of it, I think it's funny to think how different we approach our time, you know, how, how we care for our time versus how we care for our money. Um, pretty much all of us in here would agree, wouldn't you, that it's a good plan to spend less than you make, right? Can we agree on that? Um, if you don't agree, Eric's a CPA. He will tell you how those numbers work out. Um, but, but that's just fine. personal finance 101 is spend less than you make. Because if you don't, right, you're either spending more than you make and then you're constantly going into debt. But even if you spend all that you make up to the max, you're going to be broke because you're going to have things happen. Emergencies happen. Your water heater goes out. Your car breaks down. You get a speeding ticket. Your kid needs something. Normal life happens, right? So we would all say that, you know, not spending all that you make is really important. It's called, it's a habit of margin. But, but with our time, it's way different. We applaud those people that just max it out completely, right? We think Fortune 500 CEOs are doing great because they're working like 80 hours a week, sleeping like four hours a night, but they're making tons of money. So we think of them as super successful. Why is that? It's not healthy. It's not healthy to have your time 100% filled up, no margin in there. Jesus would have us do things differently. Margins for interruptions are important. Now, those are the main symptoms I ha I've had. And so we've already said slowing down is the cure. And we look to Jesus as our model here. But the next question I know you're asking is like, yeah, but how does this work in 2021? We all have smartphones, Pastor Dave. We all have kids to get places. We all have stuff going on in our lives. We have groups that are meeting constantly. You know, what, what in the world, how do we manage this? And the answer to that question, I think, is going to look different for every single one of you because all of your circumstances are so differently. But I think there is one common thing that we need to come around, and that is when it comes to hurry, when it comes to slowing down, a, a casual approach won't work. You can't say, yeah, I'll get around to it. It has to be ruthless. It has to be aggressive. It has to be like this, like my spiritual life is at stake here if I don't do something about this. You won't be spiritually healthy without taking action. John Orberg writes about this when he discovered that and, and the importance of being aggressive. When he was in a crazy, frantic season of his life working in Chicago, he called his good friend and mentor, Dallas Willard. And John writes this book called The Life You've Always Wanted. And he says this, I described the pace at which things tend to move in my current setting. I told him about the rhythms of our family life and about the present condition of my heart as best I could discern it. What did I need to do, I asked him, to be spiritually healthy? It's a great question to ask. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Orberg says this, long pause. Dallas was known for giving slow, thoughtful answers. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, he said at last. Another long pause. Okay, I've written that one down, I told him a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now, what else is there? I had many things to do, and this was a long-distance conversation, so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. 
There is nothing else. That's it. I thought that was brilliant, and that's what I wanted to pass along to you today as well. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. All of your methods and all of the tools that you use to do that are going to look differently, and there is no law here. There's tons of grace for you. But that you start is critically important to your life in God. That you make this a habit in this modern age to constantly be assessing and doing that is critically important. And as I got started thing, saying, okay, yes, I need to do this. I need to be ruthless about this. There have been several things, disciplines, that have been helpful to me. I want to give you 10 of them, not in a hurry, but quickly. All right? Be quick, but don't hurry. Number one, accept your limitations as a gift from God. We are dust. We are frail. We are weak. We are going to die. And just admitting that up front, that I can't do everything, I have limitations, is a great start for putting you in the right headspace to say, I have to slow down. I can't accomplish everything. And that's okay. God knows that. That's how he made you. Number two, say no to some things. Yes, even to church things. All right. I uh, didn't want to say that, but we got to say that. You know, we're trying hard as Life Church to say, how do we get people? We don't want to give them stuff just to busy up their life. So how do we make everything that we give to them a targeted surgical strike for their discipleship? So like even coffee and bars is a targeted surgical strike at getting you into community. We're not just asking you to do something to waste your time or busy you up. We really want everything that we do here to push you towards discipleship. And if there's something that doesn't work for the season of life you're in, just say no. We get that. We get that as a healthy church with healthy boundaries and healthier margins in our lives, healthy people are going to say no more. And we just realize that that's okay. That's okay. As a church, it might initially feel like we're going to accomplish less, but I think in the long run, we're going to be more impactful in our families, more impactful in our communities, more impactful in our workplaces as we learn to pay attention to God receive from him what we need to receive, and then learn to give that out and pay attention to other people. Imagine the impact we could have if we'll just unbusy ourselves a bit. Um, so number two is say no to some things. Number three, which kind of goes along with that, pray about new opportunities before saying yes. And this means not just only, you know, church opportunities or missional opportunities, but all opportunities, all things, um, even purchases, pray about it before just doing it. And I was really guilty of that. Like, I get excited about things, and I just want to say yes and just do it. And then I realized, like, Jesus is kind of back here, and I'm way out in front of him. And one of the main, you know, rules of following someone is you don't get ahead of them, right? And so we say we're following Jesus. Well, let him lead. Ask him, Lord, is this something you have for me to do? Is this going to be worth the cost? Because everything has a cost on your finances, but on your time, on your emotional health. It all has a cost. Just ask, like, is this something you've asked me to do? And then wait a little while for him to speak. Um, so that's number three. Number four, get rid of YOLO and FOMO. I hear these things all the time. You only live once, um, fear of missing out. Those things are not Christian sayings. They're not, they're not things that are true for us as Christians. You don't only live once. You only live forever, Right? That's what, that's what Christians believe. We believe that we're going to live forever, and this life is just a dim reflection of the life to come. So you're trying to max out this life because it's the only thing you got. That's not a Christian perspective, right? And if you're afraid of missing out, I would just say, like, hey, if you're following God, he could have you living in obscurity, just serving a few, group, a few people. But if, he's, if you're being obedient to him, you're not missing out on anything. So just staying in tune with him, you're never going to miss out right? Um, so we got to get rid of those two things out of our vocabulary. Um, relax. God has us. 
and he has a great future for us. Number five, you've got to parent your devices. You know, it's no secret that our brains have so much trouble with addiction to our screens. Um, and that is not just for our kids, that's for adults too. Like, we don't know how to handle these things. We're literally killing ourselves driving while we're using this stuff. Um, so we've got to get aggressive about it and say, okay, um, I'm going to have breaks from this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put limits on it for myself and for my family. So for me, at 5.30, I get home, and my phone just goes in a drawer until 8.30. And that's some beautiful slow time in there where I just greet my wife and we catch up on the day where we make supper together. Uh, we usually put out a few fires with our kids just to be completely transparent. And we do some homework and we eat supper and that's pretty crazy and we clean up. And I'm not saying it's not crazy still, but we just don't have our phones there distracting us from all that stuff. And so just parent your devices. They need to be parented. Don't let them run your life um, and you'll find, at first, you'll be a little annoyed because that's just okay. Your brain's just addicted to your phone. You'll be like, wow, I need to do something. You don't. Just relax. Enjoy it. Pretty soon, your brain will love the space. And you'll be like, when can I get rid of my phone next? All right? Um, so handle your devices. Number six, uh, and, and how you schedule. Put the most important things in your schedule first. And then when it's nearly full, but there's some margin, just stop. Just stop. And then don't put anything new in until you remove something else. That's how you make out your schedule, right? Most important things first. And then as it's getting to the point where it's like 90% full or whatever your margin is, you just stop and you say, we can't add anything more to our plate right now. We are full. Because we have a little bit of margin for God and for people, and we're not going to, you know, stuff it completely full. Um, that's how you do that. Number seven. Try actually moving slower, slower and driving slower. You know, sometimes we forget that we're incorporated beings. We're biopsychosocial spiritual beings. So what we do in our bodies actually has an effect on our entire soul. So if you stand in the long line at the grocery store, super annoying, but you just pick the longest line and just wait and ask the Lord to speak to you. Um, just slow your body down. When you're going on a walk, just slowly walk. Um, I'm famous for being a very fast walker. And uh, my wife's always like, could you please slow down? Your legs are so much longer than mine. And uh, on sabbatical, I started moving slower. And by the end of sabbatical, I was like, hey, why are you walking so fast? And I'm sure I was going like this fast. <laughs> and she's like, what is wrong with you? But my spirit, my, my soul had slowed down to the point where my body was there, right there with it. I was just moving a little bit slower. And that can help us to actually guide some of our inner life as well. Um, number eight, you got to practice the, 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 the trifecta. These are the trifecta of, of the spiritual disciplines that help us to slow. Silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Jesus um, practiced them regularly and recommended them to his followers. These are like miniature ways, you know, silence and solitude each day, little time, your quiet time with the Lord. Uh, by that window or in your basement or in your closet where you're just like, Lord, I'm here. And it's just silent. And you just let him speak to you. And then that weekly rhythm of Sabbath where you rest and enjoy and relax with the Lord and remember that you're dust and he's God. It's just so, so renewing and so refreshing to that cycle. Um, so you got to practice those on a regular basis. Um, simplicity is a big one. Um, I think simplicity, that was one of the other big disciplines we practiced on sabbatical was just getting rid of anything that wasn't extremely needful for our lives. Just sold a bunch of stuff, gave a bunch of stuff away, just said our lives without so much stuff, actually have less stress and less demands. And so we just dramatically simplified. And I got to tell you, I have less headspace taken up by my stuff. And it's beautiful that way. It really is. Um, so practice simplicity as often as you can. And then number 10, and finally, 
reset often. You need to be super gracious and gentle with yourselves. I can't emphasize that enough. Like, I've given you a lot of disciplines here, but the big thing is just reset. Like, you're not going to get this right the first time or the 50th time. It's going to be a lifelong practice of just, okay, i got to unhurry myself. And I actually kind of came up with a little mantra to say to myself. A part of it was in John Mark Homer's book, and then part of it I kind of just came up with my, myself. But I'll say to myself, sometimes several times a day, slow down, breathe, come back to the moment, learn to walk at the pace of Jesus, relaxed, fully trusting the Father. I'll just say that to myself. When I notice I get kind of amped up and I start to go, and I'm just slow down, breathe, come back to the moment, learn to walk at the pace of Jesus, relaxed, fully trusting the Father. And that will really help as you kind of constantly do those resets. Um, we're going to close up this message today. Uh, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I uh, just welcome you. To, we're so glad that you're here today. So glad that you could be with us. Um, you might be saying, Pastor Dave, I have a lot of those things and I would like those things fixed in my life. And I would just encourage you, like, don't come to Jesus just as a self-help guru. That's not his intent, right? He gives you advice that works for the rest of your life, but he is Lord God, Savior, and King. And look at how he slowed himself down to pay attention to you. Like, he's the king of all the universe. Like, put the stars in the sky with his fingertips, and he left his home in heaven to become an infant to take on flesh so that he could pay attention to you and to me. He walked among people, laughed with people, ate with people, ministered to people, healed their diseases, and then he faced the ultimate slowness. He died. Jesus spent two nights in the grave, Friday night and Saturday night, and then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, conquering Satan's sin and death so that you could have that relaxed posture of heart, that posture of heart that he had, fully trusting your father. So you could come back into that right relationship with your father. And if you would like to receive that good news today, we'll have people up here to pray with you. We urge you to come and do that today. Now, for those of you here today who are Christians, you know, I just want you to take a moment to imagine with me like what it would be like if your inner realities didn't mirror mine, but mirrored that of Jesus. Like, just close your eyes and just imagine with me for a moment. Like, who would be blessed by your incredible attentiveness and care? I got a great example of that, by the way, this past week. My daughter, Grace, went to school for the first time at Harrisburg High School. And guess who was there ahead of school to greet her on Thursday morning? Garrett DeHaan. He made time in his schedule, and he got up early, got to school, and was waiting there for her. Not only that, but he took time out of his schedule at noon to come have lunch with her to make sure she felt great. And he did it all without being asked. He did it again on Friday without being asked. She consequently, I think, had two great days at school. Who could benefit from your attentiveness and care? Garrett was just being obedient. He was just available. He was just attentive to someone's needs. How would your children be blessed after a long day of school by your non-anxious presence? So few non-anxious presences in the world, isn't there? Like we're all just running at a crazy pace. How would your neighbors and your community be blessed by your joy, your life, as you walk graciously and peacefully with God? I just, I just dream about, like, what could 70 or 80 people out of Life Church do for this local community, for the communities, your workplaces that you go into? What could that do if we really mirrored 
the internal realities of Jesus. Let's slow down life, church, so that we can pay attention to God and others. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you ah, for loving us so much that you would slow down to pay attention to us. That itself blows us away. But we ask today, Lord, that you would help us to mirror you. We want to be your agents in the world. We want to give out the love that you've so graciously lavished upon us. And so would you help us to do that, Lord? Without your help, we're just going to be frantic, running around after one thing after another. We need your help, Holy Spirit. It's in